Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 101 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 101, we're going to ask the extraordinarily important question, is it pronounced 101 or 101? I'm not really sure. Scott, what do you think? Um, I think either are fine. Either are fine. So if you're taking a 101 class, I think I just answered my own question. But if you're taking a 101 class at a university, it's referred to as 101, not 101, right? I think that's just because that's how everybody else refers to it, not because that's the only correct way. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's it's totally cultural. Um, but we're going to take a bit of a cultural uh, copyright infringement case here. So for episode 101, we are going to turn this into quizzing 101. So essentially, this episode is where Scott and I are going to be walking through uh, really the basics of, of what Bible quizzing is all about. So if you know absolutely nothing about Bible quizzing at all, this is the episode for you. This is the, you know, welcome to the crazy, weird, pretty well nerdy, but pretty well awesome uh, world known as Bible quizzing. So we'll be talking about what is quizzing? Why do we do it? Uh, what are some values in participating? We're going to be talking about how do you prep? Uh, what, how do quiz meets work? What are quiz meets? What are quizzes? What are questions in a quiz? And all that kind of good stuff. So with that all laid out, let's kind of start with the first big topic, which is what is Bible quizzing? Well, there's a lot of different ways to describe it, but I would hearken to the idea of calling it a Christian sport, a sport in a non-physical sense. So in the same way that say, you know, chess is a, a type of sport, uh, Bible quizzing is a Christian sport. Uh, participants memorize portions of the Bible and we form into teams usually between three, four, and five, um, usually not five at a local level. Usually it's teams of three or four, but it somewhere in that ballpark, three, four, or five uh, folks that form a team. And these uh, teams get together on a semi-regular basis at what are called meets, and they compete on uh, what they memorize. And we'll describe how they do that. But essentially you're memorizing, you know, as a participant, you're memorizing some number of verses out of a preset part of the New Testament. And then you're forming into teams, practicing on some sort of regular basis, and then coming together at meets where your uh, competitive ability is ranked or measured and scored and ranked uh, based both on individual performance, but also team uh, performance. And those are tracked uh, together and separately, and there's there's metrics for both of those things. So quizzing requires a combination of speed, accuracy, and strategy, both in your performance, but it also requires a bit of strategy in prep. Uh, and there's a really you know, just a phenomenal culture that happens within Bible quizzing where you have, yes, a certain amount of com uh, competitive spirit, but it's always positive competitive spirit that I've noticed. Uh, there's collaboration, there's fellowship, there's uh, mutual encouragement between competitive teams, and that's just a wonderful uh, culture to be in. So when you're memorizing the Bible, you're not memorizing the whole Bible. You're not memorizing the whole New Testament uh, within one particular season that typically will be the same thing as a school year uh, starts up late September, early October and runs until April or May, somewhere in that somewhere in that ballpark. 
uh, you'll be memorizing uh, uh, verses out of, let's say, typically one book of the New Testament. But sometimes if the books are fairly small, we can take two small books and kind of uh, two or more small books and put them together. It typically works out to a total amount of material available to be memorized between about uh, 470 and 880 verses. But that's, don't let that seem daunting because that's the total number of verses that are available to be memorized through the entire season. Uh, most quizzers memorize far less than 100% of the material and you don't have to memorize anywhere close to, uh, you know, 100% of the material to be fairly competitive at the district level. All right. So that's kind of the high level. Um, Scott, do you have anything to add about what is Bible quizzing? Uh, anything I missed? Um, I think your point on don't let the number of the total number of verses seem daunting is a really good one. Roughly, I think 10 to 15% of quizzers will memorize the entire material in a given year. I think people hear, oh, we're going to memorize John. And they just assume that everybody memorizes John. And so if I don't also memorize all of John, then I will not be able to compete at all. And that is not true (laughs) because only about, I think, 10 to 15%, uh, maybe 10 to 20% memorize the full material. And so you can be quite competitive memorizing much less than the full material. And let's see here. You talked about teams and quizzes and meets. And I think for a lot of other kind of knowledge-based competitions, it is not entirely dissimilar. So my younger brother did speech and debate. And that I think is fairly similar where there is kind of a basis that you use for study and preparation and you practice in between tournaments and then you have tournaments which are the competitions and so that is very roughly what is happening in bible quizzing as well yeah indeed what would you say would be kind of the minimal number of verses that you would need to memorize to be competitive at a at a at a junior level that's really difficult to say but i think i was about to say one verse a day but it actually might be less than because i think a quizzer that knows 50 verses over the course of a year, um, which is definitely less than one a day. That might be one every three days, actually. Um, if they know those verses well, um, can score, I would say, in the top two-thirds of quizzers, roughly speaking. And, yeah, I think that's fair. And um, there are some usually some pretty big gaps. Like, there's a decent amount of quizzers who do not score anything. And then there are another fairly large group of quizzers who only get one or two questions over the course of the year. And so if you are in those top two thirds of quizzers, you're probably getting between, Oh, I don't know, three and seven questions correct per meet. Um, And let's think in a certain meet, one quizzer might face around 200 total questions, roughly speak. So their, their team will. Um, And if they're getting three to seven, right. I think they're in the top two thirds um, and scoring wise and proficiency wise, they are quite a bit above a quizzer getting just one, um, a meet. Right. Indeed. So ultimately the, the bottom line with all this is it may sound daunting, but it's really, it's really not. It's similar to most sports, right? If you're, if you look at any serious sport that's out there and you look at the upper echelon of that sport and you think, okay, well, I'm going to pick up that sport and I'm going to attempt to, uh, be competitive in that sport. 
uh, very, you, you can get daunted very quickly, right? It, 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 you can be like, wow, that, that's a crazy high level of, of, of athleticism or sportsmanship or something. I don't think I would be, ever be able to achieve that. Um, but that's not a fair way to look at a sport from the outside when you're thinking about joining. You want to look at it from the, you know, what are kind of the, the first tier folks kind of doing? What are the second tier folks doing? What are the third tier folks doing? What are beginners doing? And, you know, what would I need to be able to invest to be able to be reasonably competitive as a, a rookie? And it's, and it's far less than 100% of the material. Nevertheless, it is still all about the material and it's all, and the material is scripture. So Bible quizzing fundamentally is about writing God's word on our hearts to, to memorize the scripture, uh, into our hearts and minds. Uh, and so essentially we are, and not even essentially, we truly are appealing to the transformative power of scripture, uh, and quizzing becomes then a catalyst that can change lives, uh, both inside quizzing, the lives of folks who are involved in quizzing, but also using quizzers and uh, other participants, officials, and so forth, and volunteers within quizzing, outside of quizzing, to change lives across the world. Quizzing thrives uh, in several different countries. Now, its origin was in the United States and Canada, but it spread beyond the U.S. and Canada. Uh, it spread to the Dominican Republic, to Jordan, and far beyond. I wouldn't be surprised if it's really circled the globe. Uh, certainly, its dominance is in the United States and Canada right now. But there are, you know, efforts underway to export uh, the value of quizzing uh, more and more to countries across the world. Uh, Scott, any follow-up thoughts on any of that? I don't think so. All right. So let's talk a little bit about why you might want to participate in quizzing. Uh, there are a lot of reasons. Uh, but uh, like I said, it, quizzing is a sport. So there's all this, the sort of traditional benefits of participating in a sport. Now, it's a mental sport rather than a physical sport. So you're not necessarily going to, you know, achieve, you know, physical strength or, or, you know, the, this, like if you're going to do gymnastics or cycling or some other sort of, you know, physical sport, there's a lot of, um, uh, physiological benefits to being involved in that kind of a sport. This is a mental sport, but all of that sort of general mental sports stuff does play a factor. So in terms of self-discipline, in terms of mental acuity and ability, uh, all of that stuff comes into play as a value that you're going to get out of quizzing by being involved. Um, quizzing, um, you know, the, there's the direct mental benefits, sort of the physical objective benefits that you get by being involved in quizzing. But there's also the spiritual benefits that, that come along with it, which are, you know, orders of magnitude more important, right? With the word being written on our hearts, there is a uh, an influence that scripture will have on in the on the individual and so i i'm fond of saying that bible quizzing is the greatest discipleship program in uh quizzing or sorry in in christianity modern christianity today and i don't think that's really much of a stretch of the imagination it's difficult in fact it, i would say impossible to think of a program that actually does better unless you want to go back like 300 years and talk about Wesley's like holiness groups or something like, or holiness clubs or something like that. It, it's really hard to find something that is as effective a discipleship mechanism as Bible quizzing. And it's not so much because 
quizzing in and of itself is focused on discipleship. We're, we're really not. We're focused on memorizing scripture and competing. But because we actually memorize scripture, and it's a really, really big deal to memorize scripture in quizzing, it's like the core concept of it, That's it, that by itself is what causes discipleship to be one of the, not just one of, but the greatest uh, discipleship program in modern Christianity today, because uh, it's really the only program that systematically encourages uh, quizzers and officials and everybody involved in the program to write scripture on their heart and scripture then, uh, through the, the work of the Holy Spirit is illuminated within, uh, each of us. And that's where discipleship, uh, you know, begins and grows. Beyond that, I'm, there's a, I mean, a, a whole list of other sort of values of participating in quizzing. One is, you know, the social, uh, sort of aspects of it, uh, both, you know, junior high, middle school, high school, and then, you know, college and, and on up through adulthood. Uh, folks involved in quizzing have an amazing social, I don't know, fabric, a, a social connectiveness. Uh, we love hanging out with each other. We love nerding out about quizzing and other sorts of things. Um, so I don't know. I'm starting to babble here, but um, Scott, jump in. What are some of your thoughts about why it's a good idea to be involved in quizzing? Would you say that quizzing is successful because it um, focuses more on kind of underlying habits than some end discipleship goal? It might very well be, but I, th I think it depends on what you mean by effective. If you mean effective as a discipleship program, I don't necessarily think that's true. I don't think it's untrue, right? Um, I, uh, I don't think focusing on discipleship as the goal or not is what makes the program great at discipleship. I think the fact that we're memorizing scripture is what makes the program great at discipleship. Gotcha. Um, but it still is more of a focus on kind of an underlying thing than a top level thing. I'm, I'm speaking kind of in, in vagueness here. Yeah, but I, I think I get what you, I think I get what you're getting at. The idea is we don't, we don't participate at inquisiting at the at the sort of the entry level or even the advanced level, but we don't tactical. Let's say, let's say that way. We don't participate in quizzing at the tactical level because we're thinking, Oh, I want to do something that is going to improve discipleship. Right. I think that is an, is the outcome of what we do. I think we, we are deciding to get involved in quizzing because it's enormous amounts of fun. It's nerdy. It's geeky. It's cool. And there's a lot of social value behind it and all those sort of other things. And also because of um, how quizzing was, I guess, originated or developed, we are testing um, most often verbatim knowledge of the text instead of some sort of thematic or trivia or essay kind of knowledge of it, which um, some people may say, well, if you're just testing the verbatim, then how do you know that any sort of meaning or anything else is actually pulled from it? And I think the answer is you don't know. Um, but well, you don't know, you don't know by observing a quiz, right? So if somebody is, is, you know, in an actual, and we'll talk about what a quiz is in a little bit, but if somebody is actually reciting material that they've memorized, of course, we have no idea if discipleship has actually taken place. We have no idea if spiritual illumination has taken place, right? But we can see, and I would say, pretty close to objectively, we can observe discipleship taking place by observing quizzers 
uh, outside of the competition, right? In their social environment with each other and with the world, we can see that illumination take place absolutely. Sure. But I think what I'm getting at is one reason why quizzing is different is that it does focus on such a low level verbatim knowledge of a thing where most endeavors, especially knowledge endeavors, um, really focus on kind of a summarization um, level mastery, if I'm able to phrase that well. Um, How else would I say it? Well, you and I are both software developers. So it's one thing to ask someone like, can you describe to me this data algorithm? But it is very different to like um, see it used, even if maybe you're never testing whether they can verbally articulate what it is. I don't know. I think I think there's something different and effective about the verbatim um, memorization that is, yeah, it's just different. It is very different. I mean, we aren't, we aren't quizzing, uh, and again, I'll describe what that means in a little bit. We're not quizzing on doctrine. We're not quizzing on meanings, uh, interpretations of scripture. We're, we're quizzing on scripture itself. And I think that is, you know, some from out, you know, outside might look at that and say, well, aren't you missing out on the richness of doctrine, the richness of the meaning of scripture, the richness of the interpretation of scripture? And, and my counter argument is, well, you might think that, but actually I think no, I think the opposite is true. I think you put a random group of quizzers together in a room and ask them doctrinal questions and they're going to have seminarial, seminarial, they're going to have seminarianistic levels of comprehension about the text because they are so close to the text and, and, and really the text is so close to them. The text is literally in their heart. And as a result of this, they are able to articulate doctrines, maybe not using, you know, seminarialistic words, right? The $20 seminary words, uh, or doctrine words or labels that people use, but the concepts they absolutely have down and they have them down extremely well. And that really all kind of points back to, you know, sola scriptura, the, 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 the Bible is our creed. The Bible is at the heart of what we believe as Christians. And so if we study the Bible, uh, if we memorize the text, everything else hangs on that text. Everything of what we believe stems from that text. And therefore, you know, just by exposure to that text, uh, folks will uh, be discipled and become disciples themselves as a result of that of, of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the memory evoking the illumination of the, of the text that's buried in their hearts. Right. And maybe I'm fitting an argument to something that um, puts quizzing in a good light, but I think um, you can tell somebody a meaning level um, concept or a summary level concept, and they can memorize that. And you have no guarantee that they actually know why that thing is. Um and similarly, in quizzing, if you have a test a quizzer who has memorized a certain passage verbatim, you also can't know um, just right there that they understand any deeper meaning or theme from it. But I think it is much easier to then go to that meaning and theme direction when you have a solid um, memorization of the verbatim text than the yeah, opposite. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's absolutely true. And I think in terms of teaching, it's, uh, which is, you know, a part of discipleship, that's a vastly more effective way, right? It's why, why do we tell morals 
in the form of story, right? As opposed to just saying, don't be a bad person, be a good person, right? We, you know, we can tell, we can tell somebody immoral, uh, you know, think ahead, uh, you know, kind of stuff. We can, we can talk about wise things to do. And those, you know, wise sayings are like, they're, they're true. Absolutely. We, we, we listen to them and we agree with them, but we don't incorporate that wisdom uh, into our lives. But when we experience that form of, uh, when we experience wisdom through a story, right, which isn't preaching a, a bit of wisdom, but exposes a bit of wisdom through that story, we integrate that as, as humans way more effectively, uh, than, than just about any other means. And so I think there's a parallel or at least somewhat analogous, uh, environment when we're talking about quizzing as discipleship uh when you're memorizing scripture it it tends to be more effective as a discipleship tool than say studying doctrine and this is coming from me you know a guy who absolutely loves studying doctrine and loves preaching and teaching doctrine i think you know preaching and teaching the bible is even more effective at at teaching doctrine than just teaching doctrine well you heard it from griffin <laughs> All right. Well, so uh, how how does one get started in quizzing? So, Scott, I mean, maybe let's talk a little personal uh, here. How did you get involved in quizzing? So the church that I used to attend had a quiz program and people tried to get me to join. But at the end of the day, it was a good friend who said, I was thinking about trying this. Would you like to try it as well? And so um, I was attending a church that already had a quiz program, which... I think a lot of what we're going to talk about is if that's not the case. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, so if you're listening to this and you happen to be, say, in the Pacific Northwest uh, area, uh, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, uh, that sort of general vicinity, or I suppose even Western Montana, uh, as long as you're, you know, up into the the Rockies or something, probably one of the best ways to start if you're interested is to find a local church that participates in quizzing and then join that team. Uh, they, they typically will hold weekly practices, but again, this is highly dependent upon the coach and in the, the environment and the team and all, and what the quizzers want to do, that kind of stuff. But find, you know, a local church that already has a team, already has a, a coach and, and join them, right? Um, that's probably the easiest way to go about doing it. If that option is available to you, but depending upon where you live, that option is potentially not going to be available to you, right? And like if you don't live, let's say, within the Puget Sound region of Western Washington or let's say the I-5 corridor in Willamette Valley um, or near uh, Madras or something in Oregon, finding a local team may be a little bit more difficult. So in that case... It's going to be actually a lot easier for you to find two or three others near you and form a team, which may sound daunting, but it's actually a far bit less daunting than you might expect. Uh, you, you don't necessarily need a coach, although, you know, having a, a parent who can act as a coach might be a, a helpful thing. But really, the biggest thing is you need to find two or three other folks so that you can establish a team of, say, three or four uh, uh, folks within your particular local area, your local church or community or whatever neighborhood, whatever it happens to be. Form up a team and then contact us at PNW Quizzing. So you can write an email to contact at pnwquizzing.org uh, or go to the pnwquizzing.org website and read more about what's going on. 
and then connect up with us and we will quite literally bend over backwards. We will do anything possible to help you out, you know, to, to set your team, your new team up for success in, uh, in, in getting involved in the program and having fun with the program. But that's really what it comes down to. Like find a local church that has a team or start up a local team, you know, three or four quizzers would be ideal. Uh, but, you know, more certainly is not a bad thing. Uh, and then from there, it's a question of preparing for quiz practice and then attending quiz practice and then taking your team to your first quiz meet. Now, all of that may sound daunting, but we're going to walk through that here. So how does a quizzer prepare for a quiz team practice? Um, Scott, how did you prepare uh, between practices? Well, first off, I think one of the biggest hindrances is if you don't know about quizzing, how do you even know, like, I mean, I think you would need a lot of handholding. And even if you get it from a district like PNW, when it comes down to running a practice, if you don't know how to ask the questions, I don't know. It, I think it would be a really, really daunting thing to start, even from that nuts and bolts level. Um, even if you, as uh, someone in a church, is comfortable with the like responsibility of running a group and learning a new event. But then when it comes down to actually okay, what do I do for my first practice? What do I tell these kids? Right. I, I think that would be really hard to know. For Yeah, for a coach, absolutely. I mean, especially if you're going to talk about strategy or, you know, even how to just ask a question, you know, properly is is – is a very daunting thing for, for a coach. And so I'm not even, I'm not even advocating for that, right? So imagine, you know, let's say it's somebody who, from Ellensburg, right? Uh, there's, there's three quizzers from Ellensburg, or sorry, three youth. They're not quizzers yet. Uh, they're, they're in junior high or high school or middle school or something like that. And they're, they're three of them from Ellensburg and they're like, you know what? I, I think it would be kind of cool to set up a team and see what that's like and, and participate. We'll have a lot of, you know, fun road trips and do a lot of fun stuff together. Let, let's give it a try. So they find a parent who's willing to, you know, be their chauffeur and have the label of coach, but obviously the parent doesn't know the first thing about coaching. How does that team uh, get involved with quizzing? Now, well, yeah, I mean, the first thing you want to do is contact pnwquizzing.org and let us know that you exist, and then we can start helping you and helping your 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 coach parent and all that kind of stuff. But really, the biggest thing is is just memorizing some verses, right? Even if you know absolutely nothing about how quizzing works, you don't know how the questions work, you don't know how quiz meets work, you don't know anything at all. If you on your own, you know, just sit down, make sure it's the right NIV version, but sit down and just start memorizing a handful of verses. I think that will get you 80% of the way to initial success. Do you think that's fair? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But I think part of the fun of quizzing is the different question types and the quiz kind of setup and mentality, even before you get into strategy and other teams. But I think it's just like the competitive side to it. And so I'm trying to think through the lowest, um, kind of the minimum viable product for um, an adult slash coach to be able to run like the most basic of quizzes. 
Yeah, at the at a new church level, I mean, they're going to need to have a question set. Uh, we wouldn't want to have coaches have to create that set for themselves because that's fairly daunting and it's fairly precise work. So, you know, the district PNW quizzing can provide practice uh, questions uh, for coaches. You're going to need to know, well, how do I ask the question and how do I how do I rule on those things? And that we do have a rule book. It's a lot easier now to read and understand than it was. It still has a ways to go, and we're going to be iterating and making those uh, that process better. Uh, but we're also going to be having some training videos made over the course of the next three or four months or so that will help there as well. Uh, but it really, I think it it really just comes down to kind of. Well, not even kind of. I would say it's completely fair as a coach to fake it until you make it. Um, fake it until you make it at a meet. In other words, and, and I don't mean do well at a meet. I mean, fake, fake it until you show up to a meet. And then when you're at a meet, it, there's something where you can see all the other teams doing their stuff. And for, for the first quiz or two, you might be, you know, deer in the headlights. Like, I have no idea what's going on. Right. But we will find somebody to, uh, you know, sit with you the entire quiz meet to, to give you some strategy tips to help you out, all that kind of good stuff. Right. And ultimately, as a result of that first meet, then you'll have enough of a grounding to say like, Oh, okay. Now I kind of get what's going on. I can go back and my next practices are going to be a lot more informed. Right. And so granted, yeah, your first quiz meet is going to be really chaotic. It's going to be weird. And as quizzers, right, your first quiz meet is going to feel weird. It's going to, you're going to be like, where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? None of that is going to make any sense. That's totally okay. We've all been there. Uh, our, all of our first meets were weird and uncomfortable and didn't make any sense. Um, some more than others. Uh, but like, give it a shot and very quickly, so there, there'll be this sort of light bulb moment and you'll be like, oh, now I get it. And, and you can start to do things a little bit more strategically, uh, at your practices. But prior to that first meet, I think it's totally fair to, just memorize and quote to each other and then maybe try reading the rule book uh, and doing some practice questions amongst your team. I think, I think that's sufficient to, you know, get you prepared for your first quiz meet. Yeah, I think I agree. And I think it's helpful to say that though. Like um, if you're a new coach, you don't have to read questions the exact way that they have to be read. You don't have to rule on the questions the, the correct way. Um, really just focusing on the memorization and then yeah as you said wait till the first meet and you can see everyone else do the facilitation and things start to make a lot more sense pretty quickly because i think when i started i had coaches that um while they had not quizzed i i do remember going through practices where it seemed like they knew what they were doing um but even so i showed up at the first meet really just having some material memorized and i don't know if i jumped on anything more than um, the most basic interrogative questions. And I did all right, mainly because of um, the decent level of memorization and not because I knew anything specific around the competition, the different question types, the strategy or anything about that. Right, right. And I would re- I would recommend start small, right? If this is, if, if you've never been to a quiz meet before, you've never, you know, seen quizzing uh, before, try memorizing 10 verses, try to memorize them you know, over the course of a, a month or whatever, and and try to me- memorize them with references, uh, and then you know maybe read the rule book uh, once or twice, 
and then just show up and give it a try, right? Um, you're going to see a quiz. A quiz meet is not a, you know, a scary experience. It can feel scary if you've never done it before because you're sort of, you know, potentially comparing it to other sort of sports competitions in the secular world. But trust me, when you come to a quiz meet for the first time and, and you say, yeah, I'm new. I don't know what I'm doing. You're going to have 20 people surround you almost instantly, you know, asking if they can help and, and showing you around and, and trying to, you know, help you have a good experience, right? It's, 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 it's an extremely supportive, collaborative environment there. So, you know, really the bar is fairly low to, to begin, uh, just, just pack away, you know, five to 10 verses with some references, read over the rule book and show up and you're going to have fun, right? Uh, it's going to feel weird the first couple of quizzes, but very, very quickly, you're going to see patterns. You're going to follow those patterns. You're going to have a lot of fun. And by the weekend being over, you know, it's a, it, a meet is a Friday, Saturday, typically by the end of Saturday, when you're, you're done, uh, you're going to, I guarantee you, you're going to say like, that was really cool. I want to do that again. Um, and that's sort of the, the, the great motivating factors, the fun that causes, you know, quizzers to go back and memorize more and come back and, and compete again. And that's kind of the, the drive, the, the sort of the, the energizer bunny, uh, process that keeps the program going. Well, should we talk about what happens at a, at a, at a, at a quiz meet? So what is a quiz meet and how do they work? Right. So typically, um, a quiz meet will happen about once every month and a half to two months or so, give or take a little bit, uh, throughout the course of a, of a quiz season, which typically mirrors a school year. And a quiz meet is something that, that, you know, every district's a little different, but in PNW, our quiz meets are Fridays and Saturdays, Friday evenings. Uh, they usually start around six o'clock in the, in the evening, run for a few hours, and then, uh, we start again Saturday morning and they run until, you know, mid afternoon, uh, mid, mid to late afternoon kind of depends on, on how much quizzing we, we get in and how far we make it through the process. There's usually some number of quiz rooms at a location. So let's say there's three or four, sometimes five, but let's say three or four quiz rooms at a particular location. And within a given room, you'll have quizzes run one at a time. A quiz consists typically of three teams. And like I said, a team is usually three, four, sometimes five uh, quizzers. Uh, you'll have three of those teams seated at one point. Then you'll have a table with the officials uh, facing the quizzers. And so the quizzers face the officials. The officials face the quizzers. The officials, one in particular called the quiz master, reads some questions and you jump to try to... Uh, almost like Jeopardy or, or like a game show, whoever jumps first is called on to provide the answer to the question. And uh, from there, the officials will rule on the answer and things kind of progress from there. Now, before we dive into the details of what some of this looks like, um, Scott, you want to chime in and is there anything I've missed kind of at a high level or stuff you want to dive into? I'm not sure. Um, I think it's it can be weird to describe, but... You know, you said three teams seated, so there's 12 chairs facing um, a table. And so the questions are being asked from the table towards the 12 seated quizzers. Um, and this is, I'm trying to think, 
you know, in speech and debate, there's often like you're sitting behind a table or you're talking behind a podium. There are other forms of Bible quizzing where you are, are seated behind tables. Um, but this is just kind of there's nothing in between the quizzers and the the officials table. Um, I'm trying to think of what else will be illuminating because you already talked about three teams, quiz room. Right. We should probably, I mean, this is going to start us down the path of getting increasingly nerdy very quickly, but we should probably talk about uh, seats and pads and so forth and why we use them. So, cause that, that's going to seem kind of weird if, if, you know, uh, somebody, uh, a quizzer walks in who's never quizzed before and they see these pads or seats or benches or whatever. And, they're like, what on earth is going on here? Um, so a lot of that, all of the, there's a lot of equipment that's used. And I shouldn't say a lot. There is equipment that is used to help determine precisely who jumped on the question first, because the jumps can happen very, very quickly. Um, so Scott, do you want to kind of give us a kind of a rundown of describe pads and, and seats and the differences thereof and what people can expect, how they work and that kind of thing? Right. So I think. The kind of buzzer that we are most familiar with is from Jeopardy. And so that's a hand buzzer where there's a button and pushing the button down is what kind of that's when you're calling in or that's what triggers um, something. Well, quizzing is kind of the opposite. Um, So there's a flat pad that has a button in it that you sit on. And when you come – so you you are pushing this button down – when you come off the button, so you move your weight so that the button is not depressed anymore, um, that is kind of the equivalent of calling in um, or triggering. We call it your light because um, the person asking the questions has a box with a light that corresponds to each pad. And so a light will come on and stay on for um, corresponding to the quizzer that jumped first. Um, and so... I like to start with push-button quizzing like we see all the time in Jeopardy, but it's kind of the opposite physically, even though at the end of the day, it is a system of ringing in to to discern who rang in first. Right. Now, typically, there's going to be at the district level two, but sometimes there can be three officials that are behind the table. Uh, one of them is a quiz master, and I'll talk about you know, who that is and what that person does in a little bit. There's also a scorekeeper. Uh, the scorekeeper does exactly that. They keep score. They have uh, some sheets of paper, score sheets, and they just mark down who jumped on what question and whether they got a correct or incorrect and the question type and a few other, you know, uh, bits of data that they're tracking along the way. Uh, and those sheets, paper forms, although we are transitioning that, uh, fairly quickly to electronic and done over, you know, uh, tablets or, or laptops or whatever. But there's typically a scorekeeper who keeps score. And then there can be, but oftentimes isn't at a district level, there's a third official called an answer judge. And the answer judge is there to help the quiz master make rulings on questions. They typically don't say anything for the most part, unless they're talking to the quiz master, that kind of thing. But they're there look, looking over the material, listening, make, uh, helping to make rulings and that kind of stuff. But like I said, at the district level, we usually don't have answer judges. Uh, the, the quiz master 
in the case where there isn't an answer, judge does both of those jobs simultaneously. They are uh, asking questions and they are making rulings uh, entirely uh, by themselves. And so the quiz master uh, is called a quiz master because he or she is the master of the room. They're master of the quiz. They are running the quiz. So they'll ask a question. They will note who jumped first. They will call on that person. They will listen to that uh, person's answer. They will then make a ruling of whether that person is correct or incorrect, and then they will move the quiz on to the to the next question and so forth. And there's there's a lot of details, a lot, a lot of details around how all of that stuff works. But as a first time quizzer and as a first time team, you really don't need to know all of that stuff. Now, I mean, if you're interested, you know, read the rule book, absolutely ask questions. It's a, there's a lot of really, you know, pedantically fun, nerdy sort of stuff that we can dive into, but you don't need to know really any of that to begin. To really begin, you just need to show up and with, with some number of verses memorized and a willingness to just kind of go with the flow and be okay if you make a mistake and, and nobody cares if you make a mistake, right? If you make a mistake, everybody's going to encourage you, right? So just be willing to go and have fun and give it a try. That's really all that's necessary uh, when you're there. Yeah. Um, you want to hit question types before scoring? Yeah, I think that's important. Let's... Um... So we were actually talking about this uh, earlier today, and th I mean, there's a lot of different question types, and this can feel very daunting to people when they're, you know, first starting to learn how quizzing works, and they're like, wait a minute, how many question types are there? And I, I have to keep all of this in my head, and I'm never going to remember all of that. You really don't need to remember all that much to begin, right? Now, to get into the, you know, the very top levels of, of competition, yeah, you need to start learning some of the rules in, in, a, in a fair bit of detail. But when you're just starting out, you really don't need to know a lot of this stuff. I would say that there's, um, and I don't know, correct me if, if you, you have a different opinion here, Scott, um, cause we were, we were sort of discussing and debating it earlier this morning. But I think there's really, from my perspective, two question types. Um, well, not types global to uh, bigger macro types. Maybe that's the word. Um, there's lots of actual question types, but they're, they sort of fall into two big buckets. One bucket is the type of questions that need to be answered by verbatim quoting of the material. And then there's the other bucket of questions that need to be answered by providing an answer to a question, right? Um, and so the first type are what we call quote questions or finish the verse questions or finish questions where, you know, a quote question, we will give you a reference and you have to just quote that verse. Or if it's a finish type question, we will begin by giving you five words that begins something of the area that we want you to quote. And you just have to keep going. You have to finish that which we start, right? Those need to be quoted verbatim and that's fairly straightforward, right? Um, the second group of questions, and there's a lot of, you know, subtypes here. Well, a lot, a lot of types and subtypes, but they're all based on looking at the material, finding a question from the material, asking that question and expecting the quizzer to provide an answer. Now, these are not trivia questions. You know, this is not like who was the first to do this or that or the other thing. It's not trivia. These are all questions that are written based on a verbatim reading of the material, but you don't necessarily have to recite the material verbatim back when answering that question and, um, uh, you know, go, uh, kind of going from there. So, Scott, do you want to kind of dive into these things a little bit more deeply? 
Let me think. Because you hit quotes and finishes. Um, I don't know how I would say those differently um, or better. So, And then the other type where something is being asked. So it will take a phrase from the material. So um, a phrase people probably know is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, and you might ask, who created the heavens and the earth? So created the heavens and the earth is pulled verbatim from the material, and then we just add a who at the beginning of it. Um, And then the answer to that question is God. Conversely, we could say God created the heavens and what? So God created the heavens and is pulled verbatim from the material, and then we just add one interrogative word. In this case, it's what, uh, because earth is better a what? Um, And then the answer to that question would be the earth. And... That is the fundamental form of these questions that ask something of you. So they are, you know, 90 to 99% just verbatim words from the material, and then one added interrogative word that is your expected interrogative words, like the who, what, when, where, why. Um, And so you can't ask something like, what kind of, or... um, other kind of rephrasings like that, you have to just add one of those um, kind of blessed interrogative words and then verbatim material when you're fo- when you are forming a question as a person writing it. And then when you're answering it, you just have to provide the material um, that is missing. But you, you aren't required to phrase it in any special way like in Jeopardy, you know, who is Alex Trebek? So those are – that's the basic – we call them interrogative questions, but they're also known as general or straightforward or standard because they're the most common and um, in a lot of ways the most simple. I guess you could argue that quotes and finish questions are very, very simple and that complete word-perfect answering is required, whereas for interrogatives, um, it is not required. And so there's some amount of vagueness there where the, the quizzer just has to provide the information that was asked, but maybe they don't have to get every article or um, maybe a very close synonym will work for a word. Um, so in in those ways, it can be a little bit more complex, but I think in the basic form, it is just a bunch of words directly from the material and then one interrogative word added to make it a question. Yep, indeed. Well, let's move on to scoring. Um, I mean, this is where, you know, we can go into huge amounts of detail, but just for you know, folks who are at the 101 level, they want to know some some just high level basics, just to be able to understand what's happening at a quiz meet. Can you kind of give us a, a high level overview of what scoring is like? So basically, um, every correct question is worth 20 points, and that is that's 80 percent of the scoring. <laughs> um, a correct question is 20 points. Now there are lots of little wrinkles, like we don't want one quizzer to be able to get all. Um, but there also happens to be 20 questions in a quiz. But we don't want one quizzer to be able to get all 20 right, so we cap it at four. So one quizzer can only get four. Um, in the same vein, we don't want quizzers to just keep uh, making errors over and over. And so once you get three errors, that is also the cap. Um, and so at four correct for one person or three incorrect, you are basically out of the quiz and cannot answer anymore. Um, but those structures really help the 12 participants in the quiz all like have opportunities um, and have a rewarding experience because it really um, 
an entire 20 question quiz cannot be dominated by a single good quizzer, um, which is the, which is by design. Um, there are other wrinkles. Like if you make an error, then your entire team cannot jump on the next question. Or if, um, multiple people from the same team each get a question, your team may get a bonus. So there's lots of wrinkles like that, but at the end of the day, it's, you get 20 questions for a correct question. All right. Well, so at a quiz meet, uh, you know, every, every district does things a little bit differently, but, uh, in P and W, we basically have two phases of a quiz meet, right? There's a series of quizzes in both phase one and phase two, right? So in phase one, uh, we call this the, the prelims. Uh, these are preliminary quizzes. This is where, uh, your position of winning the quiz is converted into points or, or your score rather, uh, for your team is converted into points. And these accrue regardless of whether you are in first, second or third place, uh, within that particular prelim quiz. And so you're during a prelim, uh, uh, period of quizzes, you have the opportunity to quiz with a lot of different teams. And regardless of where you happen to score, uh, you get to keep going. There's no elimination uh, of, of teams uh, during the prelim round. After the prelim round, those scores, are, and really the points that are based on scores, are tabulated, and teams are ranked and then placed into phase two. And phase two is a, a, a form of bracket. And so you could think of this sort of like a basketball bracket or any sort of similar bracket where you're going to have teams of three competing in a particular quiz. And based on the position of where your team happens to be, either first, second, or third from that quiz, it will then move on to one of any number of future quizzes or potentially be eliminated depending upon where you happen to be within the bracket system at that given time. Eventually, the bracket system whittles down the teams until there is only three. And then those top three have what's called a championship quiz. It's the last quiz of the meet. And I, and it's not just one quiz. It can sometimes be multiple quizzes. So at the district level, we tend to just do one quiz. Whoever wins that quiz is the championship uh, team for that particular meet. But then uh, at higher levels of competition, uh, sometimes there are usually, you know, the first team to win twice is crowned the victor overall. And there's other sorts of ways of making that happen as well. Um, any, any other thoughts on that stuff or typical PNW meets before we move on to meets outside of PNW? So while the prelims and bracket specifics will be different across different districts, in general, the principles are kind of the same, which I think are really cool. So when the meet starts, all teams are kind of treated as equal and they um, are randomly put into a schedule and you get a chance to see how you perform in this randomly generated schedule. But then after a certain amount of time, um, kind of the top half and then the bottom half of teams are separated. And you might say like, oh, you know, does the bottom half feel bad? Well, oftentimes they're actually very excited because now they only have to quiz amongst each other and it provides them a much different and greater opportunity to get correct questions. And so it's kind of, I mean, it is a form of seeding, but it's putting teams against like ability teams, um, which lets them, I mean, really have a lot more fun because you are not getting demolished or it's not super, super easy for you. 
And I think that that's really cool. And then quizzing is very unique in that three teams compete. Most competitions are one versus one, whether it's individuals or teams. And so the the three teams adds really a whole different way of competing that people um, probably aren't familiar with. And there are lots of really fun strategic scenarios that arise out of that because of the three team setup. Yes, indeed. All right. So we've talked about, you know, the Pacific Northwest type of quizzing, and we do a fair number of meets during the course of a season. But for the folks who are, you know, performing fairly well or extremely well within PNW, there are opportunities to attend quiz meets and events that are outside of PNW. And these can be enormous amounts of fun. And so one of them uh, it is uh, traditionally open to the top 25 uh, placing individual averaging quizzers of uh, P&W, and that is called Great West Invitational. So this happens, well, typically these days it happens in ca- uh, Canada, in southern Alberta, although, you know, it's moved around a fair bit. Sometimes it's been in Calgary, sometimes in Cranbrook, sometimes in Coeur d'Alene, and, you know, that sort of thing. But I think these days it's sort of solidified at uh, Crow's Nest Bible Camp in Southern Alberta. And, uh, you know, the top 25 teams, or sorry, not 25 teams, the top 25 individuals from PNW are invited to participate in this invitational. And it brings together uh, quizzers from uh, Western Canada, Canadian Midwest, and the Pacific Northwest of the United States. All three districts come together. And it's uh, it's an enormously fun meet. Uh, the, the road trip is spectacularly fun. Uh, the quizzing is great. The camaraderie is great. The friendships are great. And it's just a, it's a, a fantastically wonderful experience. And then another meet that we participate in is once a year, uh, although this year is weird, we had two of them uh, because of COVID, uh, but typically most years we will have one international uh, championship meet. So this typically happens in July at the end of the season. Uh, and most folks are, you know, most quizzers are, you know, during uh, at, in summer break at this point. But the, uh, the, the international meet will be somewhere in the U.S. or Canada, and everybody drives or flies into this meet. It usually lasts for several days, uh, usually four or five days or something like that. It is enormous fun. It is actually, I don't know, it might even be more fun than Great West. I mean, certainly the competition is fierce uh, and even higher than Great West, Um and it's and it's very fun. It's I don't know. It it's hard to say which one is more fun. They're both extraordinarily fun. But Scott, you know, from your perspective as a quizzer uh, attending both Great West and Invitationals, what were your sort of experiences at a high level, and why would you encourage people to try to earn their way to those meets? This is another way that I think quizzing is really really great, and it's not dissimilar from a lot of other competitive um, events. But there's kind of this steady. Filtering might be too negative, but um, it's very much a choose-your-own-adventure kind of deal. And so Griffin talked about the Great West Invitational, which has the top 25 quizzers from the district, which is roughly the top quarter or 20%. Um, and there are a lot of quizzers in the district who just don't care. Like, well, they don't care about making Great West. And so if they don't, it's not a big deal to them. But the ones that do want to make it, um, are incentivized to work really hard. And then they show up at Great West with a bunch of their own teammates and competitors from other districts who are kind of 
similar in that way, right? They also decided that they wanted to work really hard to attain this specific thing. And I think that's what makes events like the Great West Invitational and then internationals so much fun for a participant because you get to compete against a bunch of other people who are in a lot of ways similar to you because you both decided that you wanted to to be really excellent at this thing. And I think that that's what makes it really fun. You know, like um, I'm from Seattle, so I'm a fan of, of the Seattle Mariners. And sure, I can go to a game and you feel some amount of kindred spirit with all the other people there who decided to um, also attend the game. But maybe you feel a different level of kindred spirit um, with all the other people who bought team jerseys. Or um, maybe you have to wait in line for a long time to get tickets for a special game. And maybe you feel a different level of kindred spirit for all the other people waiting in line for a really long time with you. And so it's kind of um, all of these people, or in this case, you know, these quizzers are self-selecting themselves into these different levels of quizzing. And the more specific you get, like you can say like, oh, it's the more excellent levels. But it's really just the more specific you get. Um I think it's more fun for those people because of um, the similar interests that are there. Yeah, I think that's a great way to describe it. Well, so we are at the close of this episode. So I want to encourage anybody that has any questions about anything that we've talked about in this or previous episodes to contact us. You can do that. Uh, well, you can contact the podcast by emailing IQ for Inside Quizzing, IQ at cbqz.org, and that will get an email to both Scott and I. Uh, or if you are interested in joining quizzing, you should send an email to contact at pnwquizzing.org. And that goes to me and a couple other folks in PNW quizzing leadership. Uh, you know, regardless of who you are, whether you are, you know, a potential coach or a potential quizzer, or you're just, you've got more questions, you're not really sure if you're interested, but you want to learn some more, please reach out and contact us. We would love to answer questions and help you in any way that we can. Uh, we also have a Twitter account and you can follow us on that Twitter account. It is at Inside Quizzing on Twitter. And if you happen to be on the Bible Quizzing Slack forum, you can chat with us in near real time on the Inside Quizzing channel. And with that, I will say thank you, everybody, for listening, and thank you, Scott. I think this um, kind of 101 podcast is one where we definitely want feedback because, I mean, we always want feedback, but I think if you can really try to – if you've got feedback, please reach out. Um, Griffin and I have been involved in quizzing for a very long time, and so there's – we – are very far removed from not knowing stuff about it. And so it's hard for us, I think, sometimes to put ourselves in the shoes of someone who doesn't know anything about it and what was easy and what was difficult and why. And so if you have um, just joined a Bible quizzing or recently joined, um, if you have thoughts about what was easy and what was hard and what was easy to learn or what people made easy to learn um, and what they didn't, I think we'd be very, very interested in that. Um, but yes, but as always, thanks everybody for listening and thanks Griffin. 